proudest day, and the proudest time, and the, the seat of a relic here. Because that day, and that hour, and those minutes, I got the butt between my teeth. You know, I really stood up and was counted and said, this is not getting away. I remember when we pulled on our helmets, and, and, and Donald says to me, what are we doing? I said, we're going for gold, Barrett. That's all we said. I can still pick to that run. That was just the best, best run ever. Welcome along to Crunching Gears, the Rally Podcast, Season Three, Episode Four. <laughs> we're not even. We're just off over the middle of January, and we're already in Episode Four. Connor, it's scary. <laughs> it is. We just keep plucking these things up. Yeah. And, you know, and what a wee treat we have now in special in, in store here. We have a special coming up, the East African Safari Classic. And we catch up with John Coyne, Josh McErlean, Owen Tracy, uh, Paul Rowley, and Richard Tuttle. And what a chat we've had with the, the, those guys. Oh, look, we, we had a great night's crack now chatting to them all. Um, you know, the East African Safari Rally, we know the Safari Rally. It's a tough event. It dropped out of the WRC for a few years. It's just recently come back. But in, whilst it was out of the WRC, it still continued as a classic event. And uh, something that the Tuttles have been going to, you know, year on year, I think, for, whoa, what, 13 years or something? Now, 20 solid. years? Uh, Maybe, well, sorry, yeah, and... yeah, apologies, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you know, this year... Like it was, they said, you know, during the recording, it was like weather conditions and the lead up to the event that had washed a lot of the roads away, and it it, it did seem like manic. <laughs> and look, yeah, it just added to the whole adventure, and it, it is one of those things. It's like when you think about, you know, old school, you know, gentleman rally drivers on a big adventure, you know, out, out with the the elephants and the zebras and stuff. It really did. And as people will hear, you know, when we get into the conversation with the guys, it really did have that, you know, feeling around it. It was a brilliant story, brilliant tales. Yeah. And, like, you know, John Coyne said this was on his bucket list. And, like, you know, and like we do, we remember, you know, from the safari was up there with the Circuit Ireland, Monte Carlo. They were household names in rally, and not just, you know, like we always think, oh, the Circuit Ireland because we're Irish. No, like the Circuit Ireland was a, a world renowned event, the same as the Safari, the Monte Carlo, the RAC rally. Absolutely. And the unfortunate thing was the, the Safari and the Circuit always clashed around the, you know, yeah. similar timings around that mm-hmm. Easter. But so a lot of the, the, the world championships names who we would have loved to have had, like we had plenty in our day, but we, we would have loved to have competing in Ireland were drawn towards the Safari because it was such an adventure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, as you say, Monty, Circuit and, and Safari, they were the big events that people wanted to do and, you know, have their names on the trophy. And if not even get onto the trophy, have the sense of 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 you know that I challenge completed that event yeah yeah and, and like it's so sad to think like you know the safari's back in the wrc now but you know not near the adventure it was like the monte carlo yes it's still a very like a great adventure but still not circuit Ireland's a shadow of its former self the rac has gone down the historic route now as well you know that's that's no longer the event it was there's a new the, the new rac rally has turned into a real adventure as well. But historic rallying has really become a thing. Oh, it has. Like it, You know, it's cottoned on. People, you know, love to look back with, I suppose, with a sense of fondness of the old classic cars taking part. And 
by golly, those cars are standing up to the, you know, to the test being thrown at them. But you know, like, imagine a 2000 kilometer competitive event. It's just incredible to think, you know, what are we looking at? An, an average WRC, what, 350Ks? Mm-hmm. You know, it just doesn't compare. No, I, you know, there's probably days that they were doing more than a, a WRC round. And, the, you know, to hear the way John spoke about it, you know, that this was a dream come true. Like, you know, this is like what Rallying's all about. You know, we you know from when we were growing up, you had the posters on the wall. And now he's going out and getting an opportunity to make the po- those posters become reality. It's It's class. Oh, it is class. And, you know, Bill, you know, sorry for John. It didn't go to plan. He got sick, you know, after a few days and, and wasn't able to, you know, be part of the crew in the car, unfortunately, for the whole event. But, you know, at least he got to to have an experience at it. And you never know. I I, I would say no. And John, I wouldn't rule out another attempt. <laughs> That's for sure. I think without further ado, I think we'll hear from John and the rest of the guys. So we've heard all about uh, Motorsport and Rally Academy and all the different adventures they've had but one of the most exciting adventures i would say was uh africa last year john you said this was like a boyhood dream to go and compete in africa well um two threads to it uh one back in the day when i was a nipper um two big events in the year or three big events from the year really the monte carlo rally and the safari were the big world championship events that um made a buzz back then and the proper circuit of ireland was the the thing at home and i used to insofar as it was possible used to follow the safari rally back in those days and it seemed to be a big adventure then uh as you know or may not know a relationship with Tuthills over the years back in the mid 90s i ran a 65 short wheelbase 911 in the historic Session, section of the Tarmac Championship at home and in the British Championship. Um, and then subsequently, 2018-ish, the RGT that uh, Richard built for me and that we used uh, in Ireland and with one abortive attempt at a World Championship <laughs> event in Corsica. Um, so the kind of... I've been ticking off some bucket list items of late and, you know, this year did WRC Mexico and WRC Finland. And having got through the two of those, I felt now was the time, if ever, to go and do the the Safari Classic. So I called Richard and made the arrangements to go do that and tick something else off my bucket list. And then when I looked at what crew to bring, it was looking at the academy and you know what further training opportunities could be provided and um, asked Josh to come and double drive and uh, asked Owen to come and and do the work I knew at that point that you got a road book at six o'clock each evening for the following day uh, along with a big list of amendments because I guess they make up the road book about three months in advance and then um they update the the roads a car will have gone through the day before and sent back a, a list of updates based on the condition of the roads weather-wise. Um, <clears throat> so that that was the the overall plan, and uh, it worked out pretty well, I think. Yeah. 
I think Josh, when you get the call, you know, you hear the chat, the East African Safari Classic, and you're thinking, like, I'm going to be sitting on the wrong side of the car. Like, was it like, <laughs> oh my God, or let's let's do this? Yeah, I suppose even going into the event, going to the rally, uh, I was like, how the hell am I going to read these? <laughs> read these tulips um, because I've never done any sort of proper navigating before. Um, but yeah, it turned out quite different, I suppose, along the lines. But we we done the test together. If I find it quite interesting to to sit alongside and try try column, let's say. But uh, yeah, watching obviously the the total movie from previous years with Richard and the the team done was yeah, it was impressive to see see the outfit and uh, yeah, it, it blew my mind even even going into it. Because, like, Richard, we spoke last year, like, this is no simple task for the whole total team. Like, uh, last year, I think 12 cars out and similar again this year. Like, this is a major uh, uh, project for you guys. It's not insignificant. Uh, <laughs> that, that is, um, <clears throat> that's correct. And, uh, yeah, look, we've become used to it. Or you think you've become used to it until end of stage one, day one, and I think, oh my word, we've forgotten. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's wonderful, and it, and, it, and it was very, very tough, we'll talk about it, it was very, very tough, and you can look back at it and say, well, is it too tough, is it, it whatever, but the, the only one thing that is very, very consistent is that you cannot have the experience we've all shared anywhere else in the world. And this is our 20th year of being in Africa, uh, and you come back with whatever, whatever the result, whatever the outcome, and it's some. It, 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 you can't, you can't experience what we've just done. And, and we could chat. I know we've got a short amount of time. We could chat all night, and with the greatest respect, until you've done it, it, it can't. Um, you can't understand it. But we'll, we'll try and, we'll try and enlighten you. Yeah, because it's probably it's more than a rally. It's a life experience. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, we, we arrived. Uh, on a Saturday night in Nairobi at midnight, um, stayed at an airport hotel. And then Asad Anwar, who um, his son did the JWRC last year, and I had met him uh, at the M Sport tent on the events. And in Greece, I was telling him we were going to go and do the classic safari. And there he's from Kenya. And he said you can't just come and do the rally you have to come for a period either side of the rally and see the country and whatever so um he then came picked us up on the sunday morning uh myself josh owen and carol loftus a friend of josh's and uh paul rowley and his wife jackie and we were all whisked off to uh a safari lodge about four hours south of Nairobi, and we spent the next few days there on safari. And I mean, that just in itself, never mind the rally, that was a fantastic experience. The the people, the animals, the countryside, the, the just nothing, nothing like it. I've never, never experienced anything like it before. Um, so that was fantastic and his hospitality was was fabulous and then you know while we were there he was actually doing the rally in a toyota corolla um and uh, he was advising us about conditions and how to drive in the different uh 
you know, in the mud and the fesh fesh and the rocky bits. And his basic message, of course, which we completely ignored, was that we had to work out how to go slowly enough to win. <laughs> Paul, like, you know, from your point of view, like, you know, John's talked about, you know, bucket list events. Like you've been so fortunate this year, you, you know, you've done, you know, you've done the Irish events, you've done the American events, no, but going to Africa, like, did that put a whole different perspective on your outlook and rallying? Yeah, surely, and and my perspective was very different than Richards, than Johns, and Owens, and all the boys, because initially I, I got a phone call um, from Asad Anwar. To say that there might be a spare car and would it, would I be interested in doing the event? But we were coming into a busy period of time here in corporate America, coming into the holidays. Well, there's a lot of entertaining done and thank yous and all of that good stuff that has to be done. So there was no way I could commit to what I felt would be like three weeks between acclimation, doing the event, and then deacclimation. So, but watching Richard's previous year's video. You know, you got so excited um, seeing that one-hour clip. And like I was saying to the guys the other day, we had done a rally up in Lake Superior in Michigan, and uh, Lord of Mercy, Ken Block was ahead of me on the road. And he had done the event with Richard um, on the previous previous year. And I asked him, and we were talking about it. And when I was a young fella growing up in Ireland before I came to America, you know, we, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have these total videos for an hour long YouTube. So a lot of information that we gained on safari rallies is actually only in the current years, looking back in those years. So it has only become intriguing. And like I said about Ken, I, I, I was talking to Ken about it and, and Alex, his navigator, and this is what's it like. And, and he's like, it's freaking awesome. And, you know, Ken was bigger than life. It's freaking awesome. And we were winning the goddamn thing. And then we were last. <laughs> and, and that roller coaster of emotion, you couldn't appreciate it before you got there and understood it. So when I got there, like John talked about, we had the the, 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 the safari and the tour. And, and I, we got down to it for Pinga Ridge. I'm looking at the setup. Tuttle's is beautiful in a hangar. Uh, we're in a country club, golf club setting. This is something that's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Levels of comfort. Uh, <laughs> definitely first world, 1% grade. And, you know, we I see the prologue and I said, like, you know, I don't know what the big deal. Like, has really captured the tough stuff in this video. And that's about it. But that wasn't reality the, the, the prologue just sucked you in a nice concerted drive uh, well adjudicated no major drama in a con relatively confined area then all hell breaks loose <laughs> so for me as a spectator in this case but walking around literally with a rally helmet on me i was hit to um grasp a great opinion of what it's like to be a driver what it's like to be a navigator just with tulips, and and also what it's like to be a spectator. So unprecedented, as Richard said, until you've done it, uh, you can't appreciate it. And an absolute incredible event for me, Kev. Yeah, 
Nick, you know, we've seen you're, you're looking to take over now from Kelly and Duffy. We've seen some of your reports over, you know, the first few days. Um, I think Kelly's probably safe enough for a wee while yet. You a wee bit of refining to do to the the, the interview skills. <laughs> yeah, Killian is used to a backdrop of a very first world area when he's doing events in Ireland. You look at my backdraft, it was with uh, elephants and lions and uh, tigers and zebras and all kinds of stuff that I'd be concerned about. So, yeah, maybe I have a little bit of work, but he doesn't have to work under those stressful conditions that I have to work <laughs> And, like, Owen, you got the call from John to, you know, go out and be part of this team. Like, you know, hearing the word adventure, you know, like this is going to be epic and all that. What was your thoughts before you, you stepped onto the plane to head out? Uh, to be honest, Kevin, I, I was shocked. I was, didn't know what to, you know, I'd watched all the videos, but I still couldn't compute what's this going to be like. And you spent weeks looking at everything about the rally and just taking it all in. And you got there then and it still was beyond expectations. It was absolutely crazy. And I think Paul's right as well, especially with the prologue. I saw the boys go out, do a 20k stage roughly, and it seemed like normal rallying. And then we were standing in the roadside service after stage one, and it seemed like the maddest thing I'd ever seen. So, yeah, it, <laughs> they're all right until you've just stood there and observed. It's just crazy. Yeah, like John, like uh, you know, the prologue was uh, you know the, the bed you in and make you think, oh, this is nice and this will be handy. <laughs> but it, it soon, you soon get your eyes open then on the proper first day. Yeah, well, I think I mean it started with the test. Uh, Richard had set out a test road about fifteen and a half k and um, of a loop, and uh, you know we went out to that and we were based in a schoolyard. Uh, at the where the loop joined up and first thing is you're just overwhelmed with like whole gangs of kids um, just sitting on the car pulling at the car wanting to talk to you uh, just unbelievable enthusiasm and, and curiosity from the the young kids then we go out and and do that test and we were both thinking I think that uh, we needed to brush up on our co-driving skills, but we were also both thinking that these roads were not so bad after all, and um, you could actually push on a bit. Um, uh, that was till the second day then when Richard dispatched us out to a different road about an hour away to have a look at what might be the other end of the spectrum of the, the condition of roads. And sure enough, that was an unbelievable piece of road. I think it was only about six kilometers long, but it had it took as long to do as the 15 kilometers of the previous test because it was all washed away and big, big steps and holes and uh, really difficult to... If you went too slowly, you were really killing the car. If you went too fast, you were going to destroy it. But there was a pace in the middle where you could kind of float on some of the stuff. And uh, trying to understand that, was really interesting. Um, so we got a look at the best and the worst. The only thing we didn't get a look at, I think, before the rally started was the we had no rain to speak of. So um, you didn't get the freshly emulsified deep mud that we were going to encounter later on. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the prologue 
Well, I could show you clips from bits of the prologue that actually <laughs> it was pretty dire. There was like some of the calls in the notes, there was one um, like 205 steps up. Remember that, Josh? <laughs> Big old <laughs> steps, like, aren't they? You know, 18-inch, literally steps like mounting a curb, right? And um, and then there was a long downhill straight at probably about a kilometer that must have had at least 20 um, jumps in it. Some of them very harsh, some of them quite good. But um, but in general, it was it was more like a conventional stage and... Josh was quickest on it, and by concentrating on the junctions, lots of junctions, and getting the junctions right was the key to a time on the stage. That then the first stage the next morning, 120 kilometers, and um, that's where we began to see how sketchy doing the event on a roadbook that. Um, you know, is not pace notes, but tries to suck you in and pretend it's pace notes, right? And, uh, you know, we discovered that there's three fast, fast, medium, and slow are the descriptors for both for bends and jumps and dips. Um, and then there's caution, double caution, and triple caution. And unfortunately, we discovered that they were kind of used interchangeably. <laughs> Um, so they were a little erratic, and um, and then the distances were generally okay. But um, we discovered about twenty k into the first stage that there weren't. There was a, a note which was um, we were at three hundred blind dips at sign village, right? Well, turned out that the, we hit those dips and we discovered why Sebastian Loeb has a note called Sky because <laughs> the front of the car went straight up and, and we were looking at nothing but blue out the windscreen. And no sooner had the car landed than it hit the second bump and <laughs> repeated the same thing. Um, it's pretty good footage, isn't it? <laughs> it was unbelievable. So in itself, the description was correct. It was blind, double bump, and... Uh, there were no, it wasn't a double caution, it wasn't a triple caution, it was just double bump. And then uh, it was actually before the sign, not at the sign. So <laughs> we can confirm it was blind and we can confirm it was a bump. <laughs> we have a new note called Sky. <laughs> but Richard, I suppose the, the likes of that is something that you will pick up the more times you go there. Your first time, it's also new to you. Like you have been there now ten years or you know twenty years ten times. Like, do you ever get used to it? No, the only thing you get used to is inconsistency. <laughs> and, and um, and and look, we're we're having a bit of a laugh about it, but but the, uh, it, it, it's not really acceptable, actually. And, and and we have we have pressed the organisers every year since the rally began that they should invite someone who has never been to Kenya before, to, to a European who doesn't know the route. Because with the greatest respect, and you can talk about the two-day car going literally two days before you to send some notes through. You know, if a two-day car sends you three, three alterations and the guy who goes in one hour before sends you 43, you've got to question what the bloke in the two-day car was doing. Because it, 
it didn't get that bad that quickly. So I think it 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 is pretty alarming, and and, and unfortunately this year added to horrendous road conditions. Just as a sort of base point, uh, it, it it got a little dangerous, and it and it spooked people, rightly so. And unfortunately, people did damage to their cars, which is which is not really their fault. So um, no, it, the 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 inconsistency is is not really acceptable um, because you've got enough to cope with anyway. Yeah, I think I think the interesting thing though was I, I mean I think it was useful. Josh can come in on this, but you know, being forced to do essentially six World Rally Championship events back to back over eight days of driving, um, all relying on your ability to read the road, um, should definitely sharpen up your appreciation for for how to read the road ahead um, and and deal with that issue of how to drive slow enough to win, right? Um, and, and modify your pace. That was the biggest thing. A lot of the stages had big pace changes. Um, you do like 10 kilometers, it'd be nice, fast, reasonably smooth. Um, and then suddenly you'd be into this backside of the moon craters and holes and bumps and next thing you're in mud and sliding all over the place and just you know doing 15 kph on full throttle just trying to maintain forward motion right um so huge variability and a lot of need because some of these notes would be like 200 slow left over jump, uh, triple caution, slow left over jump, 2.5 kilometers, drive by sight, right? And <laughs> and and then after 2.5 kilometers, they'd throw in a medium left. And all the way through the 2.5 kilometers, you were twisting left and right and left and right. Uh, you know, how to pick out that medium left. Uh, <laughs> was there as a co-driver that was a pretty uh tall order because uh it could have been anywhere between 2.5 and 2.45 and 2.55 actually <laughs> so yeah but i mean it was it was fantastic and for me um first time i'd ever sat in the car with josh driving believe it or not and uh that was a trip that was, <laughs> um, no, but that was that was a very good experience for me to see him at work in his office environment. Um, so uh, that that was a real treat, and he was patient enough to put up with my rustiness on the on the road book, and uh, so all good. Yeah, Josh, maybe you want to come in there too, like. It's a completely different mindset from stepping into your Hyundai to, go, to tackle the stage. I think it's an event you have to embrace as you go through it. Um, usually you're thinking of how you're getting tenths of seconds per kilometre to, to improve on. But yeah, here you have to be more sympathetic to the car. As John says, how to drive slow to be fast in certain places. And I think over like a hundred and... 40 kilometer stages is you think it's a fitness element comes into it but it's purely mental because 
you're changing rhythm that much, the the road's changing that much, and uh, you're trying to understand what these notes actually mean. And it was only probably when we got to the rest day that we we probably sat down and realised what everything meant. We put it all on the table and, and reset, basically, because the event's that long, you can start learning it as you go through it, rather than a, a normal rally that you've only you've only got like 200 kilometers to to try get yourself into it and uh yeah it was like doing a whole championship within nine days and you had to probably reset at night because going into the next day it was it was another big challenge and you honestly didn't know what was coming um but the social side to that event uh, i would say is the the most impressive from what Tuttle's doing hospitality to the competitors all getting together in the evenings after the stage, going to a bar and having a beer. It's like completely different from what I'm used to in WRC with, let's say, the the intenseness with reggae videos and, yeah, being an engineer and debriefs and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that side of it. Obviously, I still enjoy WRC a lot, but uh, it was a it was a nice break to, to do that. Pro- probably more old, old school than anything. Yeah, like Paul, you know, you've come up through the ranks and rally and you remember that, you know, the, the good old days, you know, like whenever at the end of the day, it wasn't going back and looking at DVDs and one thing or another, there was more of a social aspect to it. Did you feel that this, you know, the safari was like in some ways in Britain, the things that happened in the past as well as what's happening now? Yeah, and one of the points I can make about that to, to accumulate all the competitors' thoughts at the end of stage, uh, sorry, at the beginning of stage two, the guys had completed 120 kilometers on stage one. So I'm hanging around at the beginning of stage two. Uh, Ian Duncan comes in, who, you know, uh, we all know had won this rally on several occasions. And he had lost, I forget, he'd lost maybe, I think, 25 minutes on the first stage. And he stepped out of the car. Um, I met him the night before at the... Uh, at the, the drinks and a derbs occasion at the golf club. And I said, how are you doing? He says, oh, we got stuck for about 20 minutes. But he, uh, the Bentley brothers came along in their Mark 1 Escort and they pulled me out. And I said, how long did it get, take to pull you out? And he says, oh, it probably cost them 15 minutes. Now, like Josh was alluding, to, you're talking about seconds in stage rally and that if we give up 10 seconds of spin or a half spin, you, you know they wherever you are on the road, you definitely drop six, seven, eight, ten spots. And I, and I was like, someone actually pulled over, took a tow rope out, took 15 minutes to drag you out of the hole that you were in, and everybody is smiling. The Bentley brothers are still smiling. They're having a good old laugh with Ian. He's having a good old laugh with them. And that's when I re- really realized all of these guys are here for the fun. While it's really competitive, you're not no man left behind, as we say in America. You're going to drag your 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 competitor out of the situation. We wouldn't stop in a stage rally only that <clears throat> officials tell us that we have to stop if there's a no okay board out. But these guys have a completely different mindset. They want everybody to get to the end, including themselves. And if you happen to win it, you win it. Uh, and that was intriguing for me. Completely different mindset. So the social aspect. Is fantastic, no doubt about it. And we and we forget that a lot. I think in in European stage rallying, you know what? There's only going to be a couple of winners, and it's definitely not going to be me at this stage of the game. Still, I'm entering into rallies 
looking for seconds on stages. Stop with the nonsense, go out, have the fun, enjoy the crack, attend the prize given, even if you're not getting a prize given, and bring the social. Because at the end of the day, life is all about people and cars. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that for sure that the social thing was was great. I mean, you every and it the early starts. We were starting at six in the morning. One day it started at five, I think, right? Um, but then you'd be finished by three in the afternoon, and so you'd have that from three o'clock till six, where. Everybody get together. You tell all the tall stories about your day, um, <clears throat> and talk a lot of other nonsense too. And then, um, then six o'clock, you'd get the WhatsApp message to the group from the organizers saying the updates to the roadbook were available, uh, the roadbook and the updates. So then I wanted to have to rush off and get that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then the work started to to. You know, update the roadbook with those amendments, and then dinner usually about seven thirty, and early to bed because we were getting up at five to be ready to start out at six the next morning. Um, I think one of the other, just I didn't didn't mention it and should have. And the first stage, one hundred and twenty kilometers. I thought it was going to be a really grueling physical and mental thing. Well, it was grueling mentally just to to try to read those notes with the car bouncing around. Um, but it was like we started and then a couple of minutes later we finished. It was actually over an hour, but you know, you're so focused and so concentrated in the car, whichever side you're sitting on, um, that you don't notice the length of the stages. At least that's that's what I found. I don't know what on and Josh have to say about that. Yeah, well, maybe you'll come on that. Like, you know, like we're so used to, you know, events here in like Ireland or across Europe, probably 15, like a 15 kilometer stage is quite long. A 21 would be nearly exceptional. Like to go and do something at 120, like that's. Yeah, it's that's crazy. And that was the hardest thing to get used to. Like, was we set off. I think the first stage we did together was nearly 75k and you're thinking right this is a national rally nearly and then there was that 140k stage like that that's just crazy and then you get to the middle of it and there's a mud hole and there's 15 cars stopped and no one's panicking they're all just sitting there and everyone's chatting and we kind of watch as they tow cars out and then we get towed out and we rally on and it's just the length and the lack of panic from any competitor in any situation is crazy. <laughs> I, um, I, I feel like I should interject. So what we're, we're painting a picture here, boys, that we all go to Africa, we have a great laugh and we come home. Um, that is not what happens. So let me just, let me just give, give you a clue. Um, no, I think that... I'm trying to get you more customers, Richard. <laughs> yeah, they'll be absolutely they'll be gutted. At least they won't believe my video. They'll they'll blame you. I think there's a couple of things here. It, it, life is increasingly becoming about experiences. So so getting involved in this stuff, whether you're finishing first or finishing last, it is an experience. That's really important. It, it, if you had seen Mr. Coin at the end of stage one. Uh, when you guys, I think you were second quickest, um, and it's very, very difficult to judge the pace. 
And I said to Josh, listen, um, don't worry about Eugenio. Uh, he's a crazy Italian. And um, I know you can beat him whenever you want to. And, and, and that, that's true. Absolutely on pace. There's no one Josh couldn't beat. Um, so, and the Bentleys are, are wonderful blokes. As long as there's beer somewhere near them, they're always going to be smiling and their tow rope is probably very, um, uh, very readily available. But with that tow comes a, a hell of a lot of beer every night. So they did it for a reason. But um, at, at, the, at the sharp end, and, and it, it is a tragedy that, that you guys weren't at the sharp end for long enough. At the sharp end, this is a sprint rally-ish. Now, the sprint in terms of WRC, European Championship, all that stuff, which is okay, ultimate sprint. But, Josh, I think you will be able to confirm, and John, I'm sure, uh, Owen, too. The pace is quick. This is not, you can't wander over to Kenya and beat people. You have to be consistently quick. And, yeah, look, there is some luck involved. But there is a huge social element, whether you are winning, losing, or somewhere in the middle. That's really important. So... Um, that that is that is ninety percent of why you should go. But if you want to go and get an event, and if you want to win a national rally, if you want to win a world championship rally, if you want to win the safari rally, we all know it's bloody difficult to win rallies. So it's really competitive, and and I think you guys will probably back me up on that. Oh yeah, no question about that. I think the the it's just that. If you can keep it clean, like if you have no breakages and don't get stuck and you have the talent that Josh has, you could win that rally. Um, but you have to, you, you basically have to stay out of trouble and push. Like anywhere you can push, you have to push like hell. And the places where that you can't push, you need to back off. And it's... The, the real lack of experience is being able to tell the difference between those two places because the guys who have a little bit of experience and I think the guy who won it had done Dakar once or twice and his co-driver had done Dakar 12 times, right, Richard? He's, in, he's, he's currently in the middle of the chrono stage in a yeah. Toyota T1 Plus and, and he, uh, Paolo, his co-driver, five-time Dakar bike rider. So the minute you got one of those boys in your team, you just feel immediately... Like you haven't lived but but eugenio came two years earlier not this is funny not it's not that funny he knocked his front left wheel on the first stage his co-driver got on the back of the car his co-driver fell off they got to the end of the first stage co-driver nowhere to be seen he arrived on a buddha buddha about five minutes later in the in the pre in the in the preceding two years he learned so much about driving through his dakar training the one thing he's learned above everybody else is how to read a road and it was impressive. I mean, he scared me with the speed because I just, I wanted him to slow down, but he could read a road. And, that, and I think that's, yeah, that, you're right, John. That's the difference. Yeah, that's the real critical piece. And uh, you know, I remember when I was working in Malaysia and rallying over there, it took me a couple of years to be able to read the level of slippiness of the roads when it rained based on the color and consistency. And it, it took ages to 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 work that out, some painful learning. Um, but uh, I think this is very similar to being able to read the road and translate that into when you can push and when you have to back off is the critical skill here. Um, Richard's right. I mean, it, it was 
it's a competitive event. Any stage that Josh won, he had to drive, right? Um, um, so there's, you know, you need to be on a, you need to be on a good push consistently, but you need to understand the terrain, which is, I think we've learned a hell of a lot over, uh, over two days for me and uh, eight days for Josh and six days for Owen. I think they'd, were they to go back, they'd have a much, much better chance of coming out at the sharp end. And Josh, you had, what, over 2,000 competitive <laughs> kilometers. Was What was the point, or was there a point where it clicked for you? You know, that piece about being able to read the road and being <clears> confident <throat> with what you're seeing ahead, you know, was there a, a moment you felt, yes, I'm feeling comfortable now, I'm in my zone? <laughs> probably, probably in the last day, that's when it really <laughs> came together, but these two men what they're saying is is 100 right and uh there's no doubt when when you won a stage you knew you had to drive for it and uh i think there was a stage through a, the last stage me and john probably done together through a, a park it was a really nice stage through like bush and soft sand and yeah there was many roads you could take navigation was was quite challenging as well but i came out of that stage and i was fairly like happy with the run we had no mistakes everything went and there was like three Kenyan locals took 40 seconds out of us. And you're like, where did, where did that come from? But then back to the point of 40 seconds is like 0.4 in a, a normal, <laughs> normal rally. So yeah, it was always balancing that there mentality of you're in safari, you're not in a rally and knowing when and when not to push. But yeah, there's, there's no doubt it's it's hot at the top end and staying out of trouble and, and being there at the end is is the most important. But yeah, talk about open roads and, and things like that there. That's that's just uh, is probably the most extreme thing from the event I took away. Um but towards the end you started to become used to it and it just was natural that there was a bus coming the wrong way or a, a motorbike coming over a hill or, or that there. So uh yeah, there's there's so many things to talk about, but uh, it's such a hard one to explain. And Richard, you know, you, you've got um, customers there for the adventure, for the for the crack. There's also there to compete, and that piece about car sympathy and car empathy, like what what? How do you get that message across? You know, look, it, this is a tough event, but it, it is a competitive event as well. Yeah, like, and I think there is there's an element of driving well. Um, there's an element of luck, you know. You guys broke a, a steering rack, I think, day two, end of day one, end of day two, I can't remember. Um, and you could have just hit something awkwardly. So sometimes, you know, just luck's not on your side. Uh, the, the, our message to the clients is, welcome to Safari, we're going to have some problems. So um, if we're not having problems, we're not on the Safari. So what our job as a team is to keep small problems small because they get big very, very quickly. And of course, when you have a setback on the rally, and we've all, you know, everyone on this call will know that when rallies go wrong, they tend to snowball. You know, so we, it, and, and that's the type of rally that, that we had with you guys. And, and, and it, you know, it's a disappointment and it's whatever it is, but it, it, it starts for whatever reason. But it's very, very difficult to explain to anyone um, what, how to drive and, and, and what to, to look out for. But Bjorn, Bjorn had the best saying. He said, if you think you're driving slowly in Africa, slow down. 
and he's the most experienced and uh, he was the most experienced and, and, and the most um, decorated European safari driver. And he had a knack. And then he'd come to somewhere where he either knew or he felt comfortable and he'd push, push like hell. Um, so, yeah, his, his words ring loudly in my ears. If you think you're slow, it's going slowly in Africa, slow down. <laughs> and Owen, <laughs> you, you know, for, your, for yourself, like, was there moments where you were just sitting in the car, be it at a mud hole or, you know, avoiding a flash flood or surrounded by giraffes and whatever else going, what am I doing here? You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I suppose, especially one of the things that clicked at me on the first stage was you got a note and it was like two kilometers to the next note. And it's just the weirdest sensation ever as a co-driver to go down a stage for two kilometers and not really have much to say, you know, it's, you're just counting down, waiting until there's actually something to do. It's kind of weird because you had to just stay focused on what was coming and, there was those points as well where like you were stuck in the mud or you were looking at a river crossing and you were wondering like, geez, how are we going to get through this? What if we get stuck? What what do we do? Like we're in the middle of nowhere, you know, <laughs> and there was times like that where we both went, what do we do here? And you just, you don't know because it's so different. And, and you, you know, if you if you were to go, I suppose, what what's the biggest thing you'd take away or the piece of advice you'd give to somebody or if you were going back again next year, what's, you know, the, the one thing you would stand out for yourself? Uh, I'd say there'd be a book of things, but <laughs> it'd just be like embrace it all and remember every time something is going minorly wrong that it's actually an unbelievable experience. And that was the main thing was enjoying like the whole adventure of, it's not normal rallying. You have to take that like, yeah, we're having an issue here or we're stuck in the mud or, but you have to enjoy the fact that you're just there and everyone else is having those issues too. So it's not to, yeah, just enjoy the whole thing. And I'd say John and Josh would say that too. Like you look back at each of the moments and you're like, that was actually class. It was weird, but it was cool. <laughs> and like a, a really stupid question. You say you're stuck in a mud hole and you get out of the car are you concerned that there's like something hiding behind the bushes? <laughs> <laughs> You're still in rally mode. That just uh, you don't even think of anything. <laughs> I there on the, the second day that Owen was in, we started the stage and it was extreme heat. We were getting sunburned out in the as us paddies would out in the <laughs> out in the middle open. We were all trying to find shade and yeah maybe like 40 kilometers into this 90 kilometer stage, it was torrential rain. And uh, we came across, the, the windscreen couldn't clear the, the rain fast enough and we slowed right down and it came to like, uh, it was ruts in the road where the water just flooded over everything and into the water and full thrall, as you do, thought it was a great thing to do to not get stuck. And next thing we're lying in the ditch. Um, in the middle of nowhere, uh, got out mud everywhere we're like what what do we do now and 20 minutes or five minutes later there was 20 maasai guys which is a tribe and they were all trying to dig us out and we spent two hours digging and to be fair we nearly got out but and eventually a mud truck got us out but that was probably one of the moments that owen, <laughs> owen and i were like why are we here <laughs> <laughs> You don't get many Maasai boys taking you out right? 
know. But I think that's that's the remarkable thing about when I look at through all the pictures of this event compared with the rest of the year. Like there was me. I only got I got my testing, I got the prologue, and then I got two days of rallying, and then I had the problem with my with dizziness and balance and had to yield the seat to Owen. But like every picture, everybody is smiling from ear to ear, right? It's just the whole experience, even though I only got to do two days of the rally proper. Um, I still enjoyed every minute of the subsequent. Well, uh, there were a few minutes there where I couldn't stand straight and I couldn't walk and without falling over. So that wasn't too enjoyable. But uh, once I kind of recovered from that, just following around, going to all the service points, meeting the guys, going out spectating on some stages, meeting the local people, um, it just blow you away. Um, and some of the roads that we had to go on to go and spectate um, was quite interesting with our local driver. There was one point where he didn't want to go any further and a couple of locals on a motorbike had told us the road was washed away and no point going up there. We ended up with me walking ahead of the driver and him following me along and finding a way through the bush to get to where we needed to go to spectate, right? So uh, things you don't generally do uh, in Ireland, but it's the same fundamental thing. You know, if you're going spectating, drive to the tape. <laughs> <laughs> and like Paul, you've took now and you've seen this adventure. Like you said, it's not a great time of the year work-wise for you, but has it like set a wee flame flickering? Yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, I look at John and I admire John. We won't reveal what age he is, but I have a good few years to contemplate this between me and John. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I'll be very honest. Um, I thought the difficulty of it was incredible. I really did, from my perspective. Looking at the roads, looking at the terrain, looking at the distances, and looking at the 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 harshness of it on cars, and Richard had a couple of guys uh, as mechanics there that's from the States that I had worked with and know, know here, uh, Charlie, Jerry, and a couple of the guys from, from O'Neill's. And as mechanics, uh, I think Charlie's, that was Charlie's first time. Uh, the other guy was there maybe four or five times, Richard. Yeah, and top, Kerma, yeah. They said it was by far the most difficult thing that they have ever done in life. Um, and the recovery period for mechanics from lack of sleep, um, the work that has to be put in the cars, and the conditions. So um, service parks, and we'd all bitch about in Europe that maybe we don't get a tarmac area. Looking at the service areas that Total et al. has to endure in regards set up and rebuild a car from bit that's a side of it that intrigued me that because i'm in the mechanical business here in new york so it intrigued me how you're for to keep 12 porsches running that somebody has opened a well maybe six 18 inches long uh replace an engine replace a gearbox in 
completely unfriendly environmental conditions. So that's a complete another aspect to it that, that you know you might not as a driver or as a, a navigator because you you have to be so zoned in what you're doing maybe not appreciate as much um, for for the guys running cars for Richard all the logistics you get your setups right you know where you have to be but when the shit hits the fan to actually get it done and what I was impressed about was when I looked at the finishing of everybody the number of cars in that event that actually got to the to the finish it's absolutely mind-boggling and so impressive just gonna start wrapping it up now um oh and like what what's your you know I suppose what's the the standout moment or the standout memory for you from from the adventure um, I think there's two. There's the before the rally, the experience we all had with Paul, Josh, John there, and Car, um, out in the bush with Assad. That was amazing. Just experiencing Africa, more of a, I suppose, outside a rally, and then at the one Josh was mentioning earlier, when you're stuck in the middle of nowhere and there's twenty Matthew guys with two shovels and a pickaxe trying to dig your car, you know. <laughs> You're just never going to forget that moment in time. So, yeah. And I have to say kudos to John and Jack for taking on the adventure and bringing me along then. It was absolutely amazing. And Josh, for yourself, so does this has this put WRC Safari on the bucket list now or maybe even the Dakar? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe looking more towards the Dakar, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the whole experience as an overall thanks to John for, for letting us all go. It was, I never thought I'd ever, ever do it, but uh, yeah, to do it the way, did, the way we did do it and uh, yeah, have Tuttles there as well because they're, they're one of the most known teams in the event. They've been there, they've done it. And it, as Paul says, it's a fist fight for them mechanics from the first day to the last day. And yeah, you can all go at the end of it, have the crack and uh yeah, but hopefully someday I'll I'll get back to to do it better. And Paul, your own standout moment from the from the the trip. I think the monkey with the blue balls and the red Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> Was that in the bar? <laughs> you just can't leave it at that. You have to explain. <laughs> yeah, I do know what I'm talking about, but. Uh, like the back, the backdrop of like talked about it just quickly the other day was uh, I'm standing on stage three, I think it was, waiting for the guys to come along, first car on the road, and there's twenty or thirty uh, goats in the middle of the road, and I'm I'm saying, oh wow, do I hunt these guys off the road? And then I realise now there's another two thousand kilometers here that no matter <laughs> Kate. I, I think that that has to be my biggest takeaway. The the cars with the backdrop of the the animals on the on the natural terrain, along with the Maasai tribes that had some something that I ran into had never seen a car in their life, and that's maybe hard for some people to believe that people had never seen a car in their lives. That's amazing to me. And Richard, you've been doing this for a number of years now, but I'm sure. There must be something new every year, something, you know. So was there anything, you know, was a new discovery this year or something you learned this year? We had a few, we encountered a few things that we'd not encountered before. Um, 
But honestly, it's just an, another year, another bunch of amazing people. Full stop. The, the technicians are heroes. Uh, just extraordinary, extraordinary people. We've got wonderful clients, friends doing great things, but we rely on a bunch of people who, even for me, I was, I was, I know, look, we're getting older, right? Every, every time I go back, I'm two years older. Must be something to do with it. But Chris Comar, um, as Paul mentioned, four times. And yet they will do whatever it takes. And, and we do it with a smile on the whole. There's, a, there's an amazing spirit in the team. And that's as a result of, okay, years of us all working together. I mean, I've got guys who I worked with at ProDrive when I was 16 who are working for me on this event. So there's part of that. But also because we've got great clients who, who get it all. So, yeah, I can't wait to go back. I've got two years to get my head straight. But um, it's very, very special. Really, really special. And, and guys, from, from your perspective, to have, to have an Irish input in the team was it, it's always special to hang out with um, Irish, Irish motorsport boys. And, and this was no exception. And John, last word for yourself. Is that the itch scratched or do you need to have another go, do you think? <laughs> I think this particular itch is scratched now. But um, <laughs> I mean, for me, you asked about standout moments. There was one when we broke the steering rack and had attempted to ratchet strap it in place. And eventually, after being spat into the bushes for about the 10th time, we decided we better park up and wait for the boys to come and fit a new rack. Um so we're waiting at the side of the road, baking sunshine, standing in a bit of shade under a tree. And, uh, you know, next minute I see this young kid coming down the road and he's carrying a plastic chair. So somebody had dispatched him to the nearest house to get a chair for the old man to sit down under the shade of the tree. Right? And, I mean, it's just that... That's how the people were, right? They were so friendly and, and, you know, Josh's, both our phones had run down. So the guy takes Josh off on his motorbike to his, back to his home about a kilometer away where they charged the phone because his, his house, which was basically a few timbers and a, a bit of corrugated iron, um, but he had a solar panel and a battery. So they were able to charge up the, the phone, right? Um, these are the things that stay with you after after the event. Um, but and then I think the other thing is just how how hard the mechanics work from start to finish. And like we thought it was bad when we because we had to get go to bed by ten o'clock and get up at five. Uh, the mechanics were getting to bed at two or three and getting up at four because they had to be in position for us the next day. So, I mean, just unbelievable how they keep the cars running in those conditions. Um, really impressive. And I suppose then to just to finish up, John, you know, you talked about the bucket list. Like this is a major tick. Uh, we're heading into 2024. Is there a few more <laughs> adventures to be, to be tackled yet? <laughs> um, yeah. I, there's there's probably going to be a few more. Um, I'm planning to compete in ARA again this year, starting with Hundraker Wood. So um, I'll hopefully, you know, by regular exercise, we'll we'll keep the eye in a bit 
for the next uh, the next bucket list one. Watch the space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But genuinely, Kevin, that was a, a great night's crack chatting to the lads, and you know, a huge thanks to Paul, to Richard, to Josh, to Owen, and and especially John for their time, uh, and you know, sitting down to tell us their stories and their tales, and you know, really at times listening to them, I felt that was there. You know, they were so descriptive. Oh yeah, it was it was magic. It really was, you know. And they, you know, dream come true, you know. And like, even for like, you know, Josh and Owen, young guys, like to go out there and see, you know, like the likes of the elephants and the zebras, and you know, sitting in the car watching those wild animals run past. Like, it, there has to be pinch yourself moments out there. Look, definitely pinch yourself moments. You know, opportunity of a lifetime. But from a career point of view. What did Owen and Josh learn, you know, from having that amount of stage mileage in a day, working with, you know, as we heard, inconsistent pace notes, tulip diagrams, all the rest of it. What they must have learned, how to pace themselves, how to cope with difficult conditions, how to read the road ahead, mm -hmm. you know, skills that will stand them on on the every event they do from now on. Yeah. And, you know, how to fix the car, <laughs> you know, they, they, they were, they, they've definitely found that out the hard way over the, the nine days out there as well, too, you know. So, like, as you say, huge left lessons there, you know. Um, so I think that we'll call it that. that and so if you did like and enjoy the, the show and if you already haven't subscribed to the channel, we'd be very grateful if you could, you know, press the button there and subscribe and you'll get the content every week whenever we upload it. So until the next time, take care, speak soon and bye. Well done, Mr. Josh Michael there. <laughs> How do you feel after the fastest time there in that first stage? It was good, it was good. Very, uh, very different. Felt quite slow, but this must be this rally. So oh, it's fast. Yeah, good man, well done. Congratulations, Mr. John Coyne. <laughs> How does it feel after setting the fastest time in the first stage? Oh, very good. Um, it was all very controlled. Easy on the car. I think we only had one minor hit that you're in a big dip that you might consider a bang. Everything else was managed very well. And how was it from the navigation seat for you for the first time in maybe 40 years or 30 years? I tell you, it's tough to get the words out <laughs> and stay on, stay in box, right? But yeah, I think we did all right. Good stuff. Well done. Bass yeah. is in the first stage here in Safari Rally, Kenya. Well done, John Coyne, Josh McLaren. <laughs>